0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of CIFMA's podcast series. I'm Ken Benson, CIFMA President and CEO, and we're here today to talk about the Financial Transaction Tax, or FTT. I'm pleased to be joined by Jamie Wall, EVP for Advocacy at CIFMA, and Katie Colchin, Head of Research at CIFMA. The FTT, or Financial Transaction Tax, is a tax on trades of stocks, bonds, and derivatives. Uh, It's a tax on savings. Today we will discuss the history of FTTs, real-world case studies, and how an FTT would negatively affect American workers and the economy. So let's get started. What was the original outline of the never-enacted Tobin tax, the precursor of the, uh, to FTTs, and how have FTTs morphed into something different?
1: So this is Katie, uh, head of research here at SIFMA. The proposed Tobin tax was a currency transaction tax that was meant to eliminate exchange rate differentials among countries across the globe, particularly between developed and emerging markets. Some of the main ways modern-day FTTs have strayed from the original Tobin proposal is, number one, using them as a revenue generator. This is a concept Tobin himself disavowed, and through the case studies that we've laid out in our report, They show that it does not work out. Also, modern day FTTs are placing them at national levels, whereas the Tobin tax was meant to be a global tax applied uniformly across nations. This was to not impede the competitiveness of an individual country's capital markets. Today, they're obviously being proposed at national levels. And then expanding the scope of covered transactions from just exchange rate transactions to include all stocks, FX, derivatives, and bond transactions. And when you get to expanding the scope, even the IMF has noted that countries should not be applying financial transaction taxes to the trading of sovereign debt.
0: So other countries have enacted FTTs. What have the results been? What's the history around it?
1: Sure. From a revenue perspective, FTTs are not the panacea they are often touted to be. Um, One of the most common examples is the Sweden example. Sweden actually missed its revenue expectations by 97%. France, who has tried this before and is actually a proponent of a potential EU FTT again, in their first try, they missed revenue expectations by 42%. And this was off of a very modest projection. And now the EU, perhaps the biggest proponent of an FTT, had to reduce its revenue projections by 94% since 2011, as they had academics and economists point out the flaws in the original revenue assumptions. I think it is also important to point out that the Sweden example, they actually lost almost 50% of their equity volumes to London, which was a lower tax market. And their fixed income volumes declined 85% in the first week. This actually forced the country to remove FTTs from every asset class. And with this decrease in volumes, you see an increase in volatility. This is actually the opposite effect of a common FTT objective.
0: And that that objective is uh, where some have suggested that besides a a revenue source, an FTT can curb unnecessary uh, volatility or unnecessary uh, uh, so-called high-frequency trading, but but the facts have shown otherwise?
1: Yes, Ken. Um, We've actually seen, first of all, uh, in either direction, none of the case studies we've looked at have shown anything statistically significant to be a proponent or... For an FTT. In fact, most of the case studies we have seen, again, because of the decrease in volumes and therefore liquidity, that you actually increase volatility.
0: And you know, while FTTs have been argued as, a, as a, a way to raise revenue, but obviously, or at least the data would show that, in fact, they haven't raised anywhere near the revenue promise, uh, Sipman has repeatedly said that FTTs increase costs for investors, for savers, uh, uh, noting that uh, most of these uh, investors are today's American workers and future retirees. How does this happen?
1: Sure. So there's two impacts that happen here. The first one is that the FTT is actually just added on as another part of the cost of the trade, and this is passed on to the investor. This is an explicit cost. There was a recent Vanguard study that showed that even a so-called small FTT of 0.1% would cause a 19% decline in the value of an average person's savings account. Additionally, FTTs, as we mentioned before, can drive volumes to migrate to other jurisdictions as such liquidity decreases, which increases the bid-ask spreads. This is an implicit cost in the cost of the trade. And so you actually, the investor would be hit two times with the implicit and the explicit cost, which raises their cost of savings, as you said in the beginning.
0: So I want to come back to uh, some market structure issues around this or impact on market structure to a question that you were sort of getting at with your answer just there is, you know, why should the middle class uh, care about this? Uh, um, doesn't this just affect the super wealthy or, or Wall Street? And, and, you know, who owns stocks? And, and you know, and is, is it, does this affect uh, people that have 401ks and mutual funds?
1: According to the Federal Reserve, 52% of households in the U.S. own stocks, and that's 65 million households. This figure right there shows that stock ownership is greater than the 1% of income earners, which is estimated at only 1.6 million households. Additionally, the Fed data shows that the median value of a household's stock holdings is only $40,000. Our analysis demonstrates that this medium applies to an income range more in line with 61000 to 99000 In other words, a much wider universe of Americans' own stocks than just the
0: 1%. And these are the people who would be paying this tax?
1: Exactly. They would be the end user that would have all of the pass costs onto them.
0: And what's, uh, what would the impact of the FTT have on the competitive position of the U.S. capital markets and, and, and by extension, the broader economy?
1: And so today the markets are predominantly electronic and they are globally connected. This means volumes can simply migrate to other lower tax or non-FTT jurisdictions. So FTTs are therefore a tax on liquidity. This will cause market makers to cease transacting and providing liquidity in our markets, which make our markets so deep and effective and therefore provide low costs to our investors. Because as we described above, this is going to cause bid-ask spreads to widen. Then this not only increases costs, but it actually increases the volatility. Again, the opposite effect. And I'd like to point out that this doesn't just increase cost to trade, but also of consumer products, because as we discussed about the expanding scope, there would be taxes on derivatives as well, and derivatives are used to hedge input costs for many of our consumer products. So now it's an increased cost to consumers. It also decreases capital investment and revenue contribution to the economy as well as decreasing jobs.
0: So, Jamie, what's the political outlook for this? There's been legislation introduced uh, in this Congress, I I believe, but is this something that we would expect Congress to take up now or is this something we're looking for in the future?
2: Yeah, thanks, Ken. I mean, I think that the prospects of it are unclear at the moment, but unfortunately, when you look at the U.S. Senate, there are a number of current senators who have proposed and introduced bills to do just what we're describing. And unfortunately, it really uh, can be any individual senator, as you know, who can put forth an idea that can sometimes catch wind and, uh, you know, turn into enactment of law. I will say that on the good news side of the picture, um, it's very difficult to enact new tax Uh, And there's a reason, and I think that's by design, the way Congress was set up. But if we were to have a uh, balance of power that was unified around one-party control, it's very possible that one could see a need for revenue to pay for and offset the cost of other spending. Uh, There are a lot of proposals out there for programs to uh, sort of help middle-class Americans on the social side of the ledger, but there's got to be a way to pay for that. Obviously, the federal government doesn't have uh, endless dollars to spend, and so in order to offset those costs, it's possible that an FTT could be part of, as a component of uh paying for those proposals and I think you know the example that gives me some comfort uh, that I look to for why it is hard and often doesn't happen to uh, create new taxes or increase taxes on individuals is the gas tax as you know the last time it was uh, increased was 1993 that's a tax that goes straight to consumers um, and Congress has been loath to increase it despite the fact that there's probably more support today than there has been in the recent history but an FTT uh, isn't well understood it's a a little different than obviously a gas tax. Every time you go to the pump, you're feeling that. Whereas with your savings, you may not be uh, monitoring it acutely. I think you know typically our advisors probably tell us, don't obsess with the uh, day-to-day changes in the performance of your savings. Look at it in the long run. But a couple concerns I would note uh, from a policy perspective are the questions of what happens in the time of an economic downturn. Uh, does the FTT have a trigger or a mechanism to hold folks harmless in a time of distress? And also, so, um you know what who is carved out or who is impacted uh in the long term if you 're nearing your retirement if you 're part of a population reaching retirement age, are you going to be um, hit the same way as somebody who is starting to save for the very first time, perhaps entering the workforce in their twenties? Those questions are not addressed, and so there 's a lot that hasn 't been. Uh, fleshed out. I think we're going to see some of that occur throughout the presidential debates for the campaign in 2020, but the, the, the real rubber hitting of the road will occur once the election has uh, been decided, and we know who controls Congress and who sits in the White House, and if it's a unified government, it's possible that this could be part of that mix.
0: And so based upon the data that we've seen, it would appear that uh, that an FTT is a fairly elastic form of tax. It's, its knockoff effects affect the amount of revenue that it raises. And to your point that it would seem that um, were policymakers to pursue it, uh, they would have to face the reality that it's never raised the revenue uh, that it's meant to, but perhaps more importantly, uh, that it taxes a very broad range, uh, would tax a very broad range of American savers, uh, not, just the, not just the top 1%, but anybody with a 401k or a mutual fund or any other type of savings uh, account. Um, And that uh, the effort to were were policymakers to seek to try and exclude savers, they would only make their revenue numbers even less accurate uh, than what uh, history has already proven to show.
2: Correct. Yeah, I think you're right on, on all of that. And you start to beg the question, why are we doing this at all? Why vote in favor of a new tax that doesn't exist today that has been tried and failed abroad if we're not actually going to generate the revenue we purport to generate to offset cost of new spending? And we're trying to, you know, wrapping ourselves around the axle, trying to hit a certain population that ultimately um, is very difficult to narrow in on. Obviously, these funds, these financial products for savings are complex, and they're integrated, and to imagine you'll be able to ensure that middle-class Americans are held harmless is very difficult to conceive.
0: Right. Well, Katie, Jamie, thank you very much. And uh, for more information about this and uh, uh, other issues with respect to the capital markets, please visit Cifma.org.